Well, good morning, Pursuit. Uh, again, my name is Eric. It's so good to be here. I've known Mark for five or six years now, and uh, this is my second time speaking here at Pursuit, so it's good to be back. Uh, again, just want to say good morning, and I just want to say well done. You guys hit five years next week, and that's a big deal. Uh, when you come to like secular startups, they say roughly 70% of uh, startup businesses don't make it past year five. And kind of depending on the church planting stats, uh, you look at it, somewhere between 50 and up to 80% of church plants never hit year five. So go ahead and give yourselves a hand uh, just for making it through, especially with COVID. Man, it is tough. Uh, the church I get to serve in Maple Grove, we just hit eight years last month. And so we're just a little bit ahead of you. Uh, but I have done the setup and pack up thing for 17 years, so I get it. So all of you who get here early, well done, well done. Um, have you ever felt like an outsider? There's so many times in my life where I have walked into a situation and been like, oh no, this restaurant is way out of my price range. Ever been there? You look at the menu, you're like, nope, nope, let's go, honey. Uh, or you walk into a store and you're like, nope, this is not for me. This is not the place for me. When my wife and I got married in 2005, we moved a week after our wedding, the day after our honeymoon to Colorado. And I had visited Colorado, loved it, and we spent seven years there doing ministry. But that whole time, honestly, I felt like an outsider, just like I never fit in. It was like my Midwestern jokes, like the community tea that you guys have going on, the community tea, they'd be like, what is that? I'm like, man, come on. Do you guys not appreciate like good dad jokes here? I don't know what it was. But for something of like those seven years, I always felt like an outsider. Then God called us to help plant a church in Wisconsin. And I had grown up, you know, as a Vikings fan. And so we moved into the land of Packers. And I was like the only Vikings fan around. And I have to confess a deep, dark sin just to get this off my chest. When we were helping church plant in Madison, we were convinced, hey, to be effective, you have to convert and become a Packers fan. And so for two years, I became a Packers fan. I hate to admit it. Then we moved back here and repented of that sin, turned from our ways, and became Vikings fans once again. Uh, but, you know, during that time in Wisconsin, right, it's like, man, it felt like an outsider. And then we moved back to Minnesota, where I had grown up, where my wife had grown up, and we're like, okay, finally back to where we belong. And I thought, you know, we've been gone 10 years, but we'll come back here and everything will just be hunky-dory, and just like it always has been. In one way, it was that way, but in another way, all our friends that we had, had gone to school with, we both been to college here in Minnesota, you know, they had their own lives. And so coming in, it actually felt like we were outsiders again. Because if you don't know this, if you don't grow up here in Minnesota, it can be hard to break into people's social circles. They, they are very friendly, but a lot of people, they have kind of their Lego connectors are full of people, so even though we moved back to the town that I grew up in, I felt like an outsider. My guess is there's some time in your life you felt like an outsider too. Maybe it's walking into a church building. Maybe that's why you come here because it's like, man, I don't want to go to some fancy church building. And I like coming to a community center. You know, maybe it's a restaurant or some kind of family gathering where you just feel like an outsider. I think that's something we've all felt. And the good thing is, again, that we've all felt this. And the Bible, the Bible is full of stories of outsiders who are invited in to God's story. That's one of the things I love about Jesus. And I just want to talk about Jesus this morning. I love him so much that he helps invite outsiders to become insiders, 
to help strangers become like friends and friends to become like family. And I just think that is so, so beautiful. Uh, if you have your Bibles uh, or one of these, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. It's on page 884, or you can use your smartphone. Um, but while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray this morning, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Uh, let's pray. God, I thank you for your Word. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather after COVID and, and, and things getting shut down. God, we never want to take that for granted. God, thank you for this community for Pastor Mark and Megan and their whole team and, and how they have endured for five years. Thank you for the fruit. Thank you for the lives changed. Thank you for the, the partnerships with, with food banks and the community center and all the good that has been done. And God, I pray that they would continue to be faithful to you, to your calling, and that everything, God, would just point to you. Be with us now in this time. I pray that those who walk in just with a heavy heart or a heavy burden, they'd be able to just Lay that down at your feet. And God, that we could just receive from you the thing that you want us to receive this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Luke 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Well, first, I want to talk a little bit about leprosy. In Jesus' day, people were well aware of this skin condition. Most people knew a leper, and maybe quite a few. Uh, leprosy was this horribly debilitating, uh, painful skin condition. It would start when these red sores appeared on your body and caused a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. And you didn't want to bathe because you had these open sores and the water would hurt them. It would be very painful. And over time, this would cause very significant nerve damage. This would mean that oftentimes you wouldn't feel your extremities. And so you could burn yourself, you could cut yourself, and you wouldn't even realize that you had been hurt. And so you'd be bleeding or you'd be burning and you wouldn't know it. As awful as the skin condition is, many people could live with it many, many years. In fact, a lot of ancient records say that people could live up to 20 years with this painful, debilitating skin condition. And eventually you start losing your fingers and your toes and your limbs. And your body becomes numb and desensitized. So what I want you to do is just imagine living with this painful skin condition for years and years, perhaps even decades. And if that wasn't bad enough to make matters worse, a lot of people thought that if you had some kind of disease particularly leprosy, that you were cursed by God. They wrongly thought this, that the only way that you had painful conditions or diseases was because God did this to you. And so the people that were supposed to receive grace and mercy and love oftentimes received judgment instead. Imagine this is you. One day you're going about life as normal. All of a sudden you look down, you see this painful rash on your body, and you're like, oh, no, you know what this means. And then your family has to kick you outside of the city. See, those who had leprosy, they were quarantined for health reasons. They weren't allowed to live inside the city. They weren't allowed to live in community. They could not enjoy things like coming together for church on a Sunday morning. They couldn't go to Starbucks or Home Depot or Target or any of those things that we just take for granted today. The Bible speaks of leprosy in Leviticus chapter 13, uh, verse 45 through 46. If you want to turn there, I think it's on page 95, but it says this. This is God is giving kind of a list of rules and regulations to his people. When you read those first five books of the Bible, you have to remember 
that God's people, the Israelites, they were slaves for 400 years. And then they were led out of slavery and bondage by Moses, but they didn't know how to live as a free people. So this is a, a list of regulations. How do we function as a people? How do we stay safe? How do we just rule and govern ourselves? And so here's what God lays out for them. In Leviticus 13, verse 45 through 46, it says, Anyone with such a defiling disease, leprosy, must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Imagine this. This is you. You have this terrible, painful condition, but on top of that, you have to be alone outside the city, outside of community. And this consumed your identity. Wherever you went, you had to call out your condition. Unclean, unclean. And the worst part was that women and children, they would run from you and they would scream. In fact, some religious people would keep rocks in their pockets that if someone with leprosy got too close, they would throw those rocks at them like at a dog to keep them away. Emotionally, I want you to feel devastated for these people. They are alone. They are in pain. This is horrendous. Their life is destroyed. They're without hope. There's no cure for them. And knowing all this, it's so amazing what Jesus does. While Jesus was in one of those towns, back to Luke 5, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Well, first of all, again, this is unusual because they weren't supposed to come into the city, into the town. But here's this man doing what he's not supposed to do. He's supposed to stay outside of the town, but he comes into the city because this leper is desperate to get to Jesus. If you're taking notes on your app this morning, maybe a, a piece of paper, you're writing, you write this down, that desperate people are drawn to Jesus. Amen? The desperate people are drawn to Jesus. Picture this. You got this guy coming into town. He's not supposed to be there. Maybe he looks like one of those walkers, one of those zombies from the TV show, The Walking Dead. His hair's there. Maybe he's missing some, some fingers, some toes. We don't really know. He's shouting out, unclean, unclean. People are running away from him. You know, they're cursing him out, maybe throwing rocks at him like a stray dog. What hair he has left is hanging there, just kind of scraggly. He hasn't bathed in years. He stinks. Again, he's missing some fingers, some toes, but he's desperate to get to Jesus. So he endures all of that coming into the city to get to Jesus. Our author of this gospel, Luke, is a doctor. And so Dr. Luke, in his very uh, professional medical opinion, he says he's full of leprosy. This is an advanced condition. He probably has open sores on his ears and his eyes and his nose and his lips and his fingers. And what does this man do when he gets face to face with Jesus. Luke says, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. He falls at Jesus' feet. He puts his face to the ground and he's begging him for a healing word. Maybe you can identify with this man. Maybe you felt alone. Maybe you feel unclean. So maybe at some time in your life, this has been your response. You beg God because you, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond his grace, you are doomed that your life is in a hopeless condition. The second thing I want us to see is that apart from Jesus, we are hopeless. That we are hopeless apart from Jesus. We need him so much. And this is this man's condition. He's hopeless. He had no chance of being healed. 
Apart from the grace of God, his is a desperate prayer. He's not just asking Jesus, he is begging Jesus. You can hear maybe the quiver in his voice, the tears in his eyes. This man is desperate. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He believes in Jesus. He believes that Jesus can heal. And he's begging him, please, please, if you're willing, please make me clean. He believes Jesus has the power to heal him. And what does Jesus do in response? This man is just hoping and praying for a kind word from Jesus. He's just hoping Jesus will say, yes, be healed. But what Jesus actually does, I want to sink into you. Verse 13. And Jesus, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched him. How long do you think it's been since this man has felt any kind of touch? Probably years, maybe even decades. To be full of leprosy meant his condition is very, very advanced. He's used to people running from him, not walking towards him. Because people's greatest fear is they would touch him and then get his disease. And what does Jesus do? He touches him. See, Jesus doesn't come to earth and what he does, he doesn't just simply look at this man and say, be clean. He could have. He could have healed him just by the power of his word, but instead, in the middle of this crowd, he touches this man with the religious leaders and all the people around him watching. Jesus stops his teaching. He stops answering questions. And for a moment, he devotes all his time to this one desperate man. And Jesus steps forward, and you get the picture. At least I do. The man's face as it's pressed into the ground and the dirt starts to become mud from his tears and his desperation. And this man is terrified what's going to happen. He knows he's not supposed to be in town. What is Jesus going to do? Is he going to rebuke him? You know, are the people going to drive him out of town? Are they going to throw some rocks at him? He's in a very vulnerable place with his face in the dirt. And he's begging Jesus, please heal me. And again, what he's hoping and expecting is some kind of kind word from Jesus. But what he actually gets is a touch from Jesus. And Jesus touches this man, his face to the ground. This man feels something he hasn't felt in years, perhaps in decades, the touch of another person. He feels Jesus' touch on him. This is one of the reasons, and there's so many reasons why I love Jesus. Because Jesus touches those who are unclean. That's what he does. He's being affectionate to this man. He's blessing him. He's encouraging him. He's publicly dignifying this man. I just think that's so amazing. See, this, the religious le- leaders in this day, they had a rule. You couldn't touch someone with leprosy. If you did, you'd be ceremoniously unclean. It wasn't a rule in the Bible. It was a rule that religious people made up. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to reach out and touch him. I'm going to identify with this man because he needs my touch. And touch is such an amazing gift. Child psychologists tell us that without touch, a human being can't develop properly. If you raise a child in total, complete isolation without any kind of touch, they will die. Same with human beings in general. If we live in isolation, we will die. Maybe not physically, but on the inside, we will die without any kind of touch. It's not good to be alone. To be cut off from all contact is so serious. It's like losing your sight or your hearing. So much sheer love is conveyed by the act of touch. And this man has been alone for years, and Jesus touches him as a friend. And how amazing is that? And what's even more amazing is that we, as the body of Christ, now we get to touch 
the hurting and the broken with the words of healing of Jesus. Amen? It's so amazing. I've just been thinking about this all week. Jesus just embracing this man. Just how beautiful is that? And in theory, this action should have made Jesus ceremoniously unclean. But instead of him being infected by this disease, Jesus' cleanness infects this man, and his healing goes out of this man, and it heals him. And I don't know how this all looked. Like, did all of a sudden the leprosy gone? Or, I don't know, did this man, like, his fingers start growing back? I don't know. We don't know all the details. But I imagine, like, you know, you're drinking a warm drink on a cold day, just the healing touch of Jesus spreading throughout this man's body, and he knew that he had been changed. By touching this man, Jesus entered into the man's isolation and this shame. See, Jesus gives himself fully to those that he loves and he serves. And the story continues, verse 13. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for a cleansing as a testimony to them. All right. It'd be really easy to just kind of skip this and be like, what is Jesus talking about? I don't know. Let's go on to the story, right? But this is really cool. So what does Jesus mean? Like, as Moses commanded, he's healed, right? That's the end of the story. Well, if you go back to Leviticus 14, written by Moses, he gives detailed instructions on what we're supposed to do if someone was healed from leprosy. And basically, here's kind of the summaries. The person who claimed to have been healed would make an appointment with a priest. And the priest would kind of function as the physician, the doctor in these days. He was the spiritual mediator between God and the people. And they would meet somewhere outside of the city because, again, the leper couldn't come into the city. And then the priest would examine the man's body to verify, yes, he has, in fact, been healed. There's no more sores, nothing on his body. And the next step then is they would take two birds— And they would take these two birds and they would kill one bird. And then another bird, they would take the blood of that first bird, mix it in some water and put it on the second bird. What? This is weird. And then they let the bird go. This is in your Bible. This is weird, right? So what is this all talking about? Well, it's actually to symbolize that it's through the shedding of blood ultimately foreshadowing the coming of Jesus and his death in our place for our sins, that our sins would be forgiven and that we would receive healing. The other dove being sent away after it put some blood on it and some water would mean that our sins are taken away. These are the fancy words for the doctrine of propitiation and expiation. It's a big part of the Jewish day of the day of atonement. Then after they did this with the the doves and they, they killed one, sent another way, uh, whoever had been healed would be completely shaved, all the hair on their head, including their eyebrows. And then they'd be baptized into clean water. What are they saying? This is like declaring you are like a brand new baby. Like you have been born again. God has given you new life. It's like when you become a Christian and you go under that water and you come back up. I'm just glad, right, that we don't shave heads and eyebrows anymore in our baptism services. At least we don't. Maybe I pursue you guys do. I don't know. But then, here's the beautiful thing. Then, though, the people would be allowed to rejoin community. Can you imagine what that would be like? Because sometimes they would throw a week-long party for this person. Imagine you've been in isolation by yourself for years and years, maybe decades. Now, all of a sudden, you get to be with everyone else. Perhaps this man was married before he got leprosy. 
you know, he hasn't seen his wife maybe in years, hasn't held her hand, hasn't snuggled her. If he was a daddy, right, he didn't get to see his kids for years and years. He hasn't gone to dinner at a friend's house. He hasn't hugged anyone, hasn't been invited to a party or a Christmas tea. He hasn't sat down to eat a meal with anyone. It's been years, it's been decades. And then word goes throughout the whole town. This man who formerly was unclean, he is now healed. God did a miracle. The leprosy's gone. Praise God. Let's throw a party. It's like someone who's been in a coma for years and years. They come out and it's like, let's throw a party. Let's catch him up on everything that he's, he's missed, right? And then the priest would do one last thing, which is, I think, is one of the craziest parts. And you can read about it in Leviticus 14 later if you want. He would take some of that blood from that dove they had sacrificed, and then he would take some of that blood and he would rub it on the man's, the person's earlobe and, big, and his thumb and his big toe. What? Is this just because Leviticus is weird, right? Or is there something here for us today? Well, I think there is. I did some studying, and here's what I found out. This is to symbolize. The man would take that blood, and you take the man, and he puts some blood on his earlobe and says, you belong to God. Listen to him. He'd take a little bit of that blood, put it on their thumbs. You belong to God. Serve him. He put it on their, on their big toe. You belong to God. Walk with him. I think that is so beautiful. That's exactly what our life is like, like when we're in Christ. Jesus sheds his blood on the cross so we can be forgiven and cleansed. And now that we belong to him, we should listen to him. We should serve him. We should walk with him. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. Listen to God. Serve God. Follow God. Today, if you've been healed by Jesus, if your sins have been forgiven, and you've received that free gift that only comes through Jesus Christ, then our response to being healed is to listen to God, to serve God, and to follow him. See, Jesus wanted to heal this man, but also, not just that, he wants this man to rejoin his family and his community. He said, now you've been healed. Go back to your family. Go back to your community. Take this healing with you and be an agent of healing and hope. Maybe this morning you've walked into church and you're thinking, again, unclean, unclean. That's, that's my state. That's what I feel right now. What I want you to know is that Jesus loves you so much. And the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts, we can be saved. That we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness, from every wrong thing that you've done. Some of you might feel unclean because of what is the wrong that's been done to you. You've been lied to, you've been cheated, you've been abused, and you just feel dirty, and you feel like you can't scrub that off enough. Jesus says, hey, that can all be washed away. You can be made completely clean, completely healed. We call this the biblical doctrine of expiation, that through Christ, he makes us clean. You're not a liar. You're not a cheater. You are clean. These are things maybe you've done, but Christ sets us free and makes us clean. But not only that, why are we cleaned? Jesus touches your ear and your thumb and your toe and says, listen to God, serve God, walk with God. So what's your next step this morning? Well, maybe, maybe you have encountered Jesus. 
and, and here at Pursuit or somewhere else. And, 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 but that's, that's kind of where it stopped. Maybe your next step, like this man, is to meet with Pastor Mark or one of the other leaders here and say, hey, I don't know what's next. And they probably won't shave your head and eyebrows. I don't know. But maybe baptism is your next step. Like this man needed to get baptized. Like I'm going to put Mark on the spot here and be like, man, if there's someone here who hasn't been baptized yet, tell Mark, I want to get baptized next Sunday on our fifth anniversary. I don't know if it's allowed in this building, but I think you should have some baptisms here, right? Like what's holding you back? We've got a a portable tank. We'll let you guys borrow it. But maybe that's your next step. That for some reason you've been like holding out, like I don't know. Let me tell you, take that step of faith. Identify with Jesus who went under the water and then he went in the grave, he was buried, and then he came back up as, as, an, as the external sign of what God has done on the inside of you, as a celebration. Maybe, though, maybe you have taken that step. You've met Jesus. Uh, you've been baptized. But maybe you're still just kind of not sure what the next steps are. Who can you serve? Who, who can you reach out with the healing touch of Jesus? How can you bring healing to the world? That's my encouragement to you, is to take some time this week and say, okay, I've been saved, I've been healed, and now Jesus doesn't want to do that just for me, but wants to send me back into community, back into my family as an agent of healing, as an agent of blessing. One of my favorite stories is uh, Jesus, he crosses uh, the, the Sea of Galilee and the storm, and he calms it. Maybe you've heard that story, and then he shows up, and, and there's this crazy wild man. He's filled with demons, and they, they tried chaining him to a bunch of gravestones. It's a crazy story, but chains can't hold him. And, and Jesus, what does he do? He, he touches that man, and he casts out the demons, and his right mind is restored. The demons go into pigs. They jump off a cliff. It's weird. But what happens? Do you know the end of that story? That man asked to come with Jesus. Jesus, come, let me follow you. And you'd think Jesus would be like, yeah, come on, join the team. You know what Jesus tells him? He says, no. He said, stay here. And some people think he actually becomes the first missionary. He's, He's in a town of about 10 Gentile cities. And instead, he takes his story of what Jesus has done, and he shares the good news back where he came from. I believe we've been saved, we've been healed, we've been redeemed to take that message with us back. And for each person, that's different. So there are people in your lives that you might be the only Christ follower that they ever encounter. Your neighbors, your family members, people you work with. You may be their only connection to Jesus. I don't want to put a guilt trip on you, but pray about that. How can you point people to the hope of Jesus? See, people can argue with your beliefs, but they can't argue with your story. If you say, once I was lost, once I was blind, once I was dead, but now I see, now I'm alive, now I follow Christ, this is the difference Jesus has made in my life. They can't argue with that. And so, Bring that wherever you're going. I'm going to invite you just to bow your head and, and close your eyes. And I'm just going to, I want to give you a chance just to respond. Um, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, I, I just want to pray for you. And I want to pray for just three different groups. And uh, I'm going to ask you to respond. If, if, you, if you're so 
uh, want during this time, just to, just to raise your hand up. Uh, the first group I want to speak to is those who maybe you've been coming to pursuit for a while, uh, and, and, and you just haven't taken that, that step of faith. Say, you know what? I'm going to put my total trust and faith in Jesus. And you felt unclean. You felt like you don't belong. You felt like an outsider. And today, maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit's whispering in your life. Maybe you're your pulse is racing and you're like, you know what? I want to take that step. I want to be made clean through Jesus. I want to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and I want to be saved today. Is there anyone this morning that would like to take that step of faith and just put your faith and trust in Jesus? I'm going to give just a little bit. All right. And the second group I want to speak to, maybe, maybe there's something in your life that you just need a healing touch from Jesus. You've been saved, you've been redeemed, but maybe there's just some sin that you feel like you cannot get, up, get rid of. It's a secret th- thing that you are so terrified people find out. Maybe it's a lingering physical ailment in your bodies, maybe in your joints, in your muscles. Uh, maybe there's just something, and you're like, you know what, I need a healing touch. I believe Jesus can heal today, and we don't know why. Sometimes he chooses to heal, sometimes he doesn't. But I believe that we ask in faith for healing, and there are times that God in his infinite mercy will bring healing. So if today you're like, yes, I need a healing touch, maybe it's physically, spiritually, emotional, just go ahead and raise your hand up real quick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, I'm just going to pray for you. God, I just want to pray for those right now. You know their needs. You know what they need to be healed from. And God, I believe you are the God who heals, that by your stripes we are healed. That you broke all powers of sin and darkness, and even though this is a fallen world, and even though sometimes our healing doesn't come this side of eternity, God, we want to boldly ask for these three individuals who have asked for prayer, God, I just pray right now that you would heal them. God, that they could then share their testimony and that it would bring glory to you. God, right now, I believe your Holy Spirit can do in an instant uh, what, what doctors can't understand. And God, if it's not your will, we submit to that. God, we also trust doctors and medicine. And so God, if we pray that you would use uh, medicine and doctors to bring healing. But also, God, we just want to ask for, for divine healing right here, right now. And then there's a third group I just want to invite to respond. Again, maybe as you've heard this message, there's just something you feel like there's that step you need to take just to bring the message of Jesus, the message of healing back to your community, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to somebody. But you just like the courage to take that step. You're just like, I don't know what I would say. I I don't know. I've never talked about this kind of stuff with, with my family or my friends. If today you're just feeling that nudge and you just like some, some faith, some courage, I'd love to pray for you. You can just go ahead and slip up your hand. All right. Jesus, I pray for those right now. God, that, that, that feeling, that nudge to, to talk about you, to share their story. God, to take that next step, whatever it is, whether it's baptism or, or just sharing their story or... Uh, serving in some way, God. I pray that you would give the courage to take that step, to have the faith. Uh, God, that you would just 
Fill them with your Holy Spirit that you would empower them to do the work that you have called all of us to do. God, I I just want to pray for this whole church. God, I pray that your mercy and blessing will continue to be on Pursuit Community Church. God, I, I pray for expanded influence in the city and the surrounding regions. I pray for more partnerships. Uh, I pray for more broken people to come in and to experience your healing. God, I pray through the the community uh, tea event going on and and, and the gift um, uh, project and and all these things, God, that they would see fruit. Uh, They would see kids uh, excited and and, and adults uh, having dignity and value and worth. God, we know that you don't just save us and heal us just for us to keep it to ourselves. But God, there's so much you want to do through us. So I pray, God, that through pursuit, lives would be changed, that there'd be healing. Uh, God, there would just be wholeness. God, I pray for unity in this body. I pray against any kind of division or gossip, and that if, if people have any kind of issues, God, they wouldn't hesitate to go to the leadership to talk about it. God, I pray for continued humility, Uh, just for favor on Pastor Mark and just the whole team. God, thank you again uh, for the five years this church has been here and the light uh, they've been uh, through you shining through them. God, be with us just this rest of this day. And I pray, Lord, that we just walk out of here filled with your Holy Spirit and just instruments of your healing to this broken world. In your name we pray. Amen.